Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Brian, and I'm excited to uh, get into week two of our series on the prodigal. It's a, it's a parable about extravagance. You'll see what I mean. If you were here last week, you started to see what that's all about, but the prodigal son story, just by a show of hands, how many of you have heard of the prodigal son story before? Raise your hand if you've heard of the prodigal son. Many of you have heard of this story. I was just meeting with someone yesterday, and he, he said, I had, I've actually never heard this story before. And it's a good reminder to me that not everybody grew up with the same stories that many of us grew up with. So if you grew up in the church, you've probably heard of this story before, this famous parable that Jesus told. Um, but, but maybe for some of you, you, you're like the guy I was meeting with yesterday. This is totally fresh and totally new. And it's a good reminder for us. I, 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 I want to pray that for all of us, that we read this parable with fresh eyes, that we, we read this parable like a child, like the first time you ever heard the story, because it's a powerful story. There's so much in the story of the prodigal son. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can open up to Luke chapter 15. Also, you'll notice on the card in front of you there, if you, the little, I don't know if you know this, but the little QR code on the right, if you scan that, every week if you scan that, it'll take you right to the sermon we're talking about. So if you wanna follow along, if you wanna be able to see what we're talking about, you can scan that every week, you can scan it and follow along with us. So today we're gonna to take a look in week number two, we're gonna look at the prodigal father. And I wanna start with what we started with last week before we get into the father. Remember, we, we're looking at this continuum from rule breaker to rule keeper. And the big idea is that no matter how far from God you feel, there's still hope for you. And so some of you, last week, some of you probably identified as a rule Keeper. Raise your hand if you identify as a rule, more on the rule keeper side of the spectrum. Raise your hands. I see you rule keep. Not very many rule keepers in here. Huh. That makes sense. I mean, just looking at you, that kind of makes sense. So, so I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand if you're a rule breaker, because you wouldn't do it anyway. So, oh, some of you are. Yeah, Eric, Pastor Eric is a self-proclaimed rule breaker. Uh, and by the way, Pastor Eric is sitting here with his, with his mom, who... Uh, prayed him, I would say, prayed him into the kingdom uh, because, because Eric really was a prodigal. If you've been listening to the podcast to go along with this, I encourage you to listen to this week's podcast episode because he talks a little bit about what his mom did and how he, she continued to just pray for him. And uh, I remember back in the playhouse when Alpine was just a one-campus church meeting at the playhouse, I remember Bonnie uh, Bonnie, faithful Bonnie, Eric's mom, if you haven't met her, and she's just, pray for my son because he's a prodigal, and now he's your pastor, guys. Isn't that, yeah. Yeah. So if that's, if that's not proof of what we're talking about, I don't know what is. So, so for you rule breakers and rule keepers, and by the way, next week we're going to talk to you rule keepers, because some of you rule keepers are saying, oh, I'm not far from God, I'm a rule keeper. But we're going to learn next week that rule keepers can be as far away from God as rule breakers. In fact, Jesus said rule keepers oftentimes are farther away than rule breakers. So if you're a rule keeper, there's only a few of you, come back next week. Um, I know that you will because you're a rule keeper and I just told you to. <laughs> so come back next week. Let's go back to, okay, so we're in Luke chapter 15, but let's go, let's kind of rewind to the beginning of the chapter because what Jesus does is he he sets up, in Luke 15, he sets up the story. He gives us some context, which I'll show you in a second. And then he tells two parables on the way to telling this big parable. 
He tells a, a, a shorter parable about, about the, the one lost sheep. You know that story, the one lost sheep and the 99 stayed in the pen. They were the rule keepers and the one lost sheep went away, right? And then the, and, and we're gonna see that, we're gonna take a look at that a little bit today to give some context to the prodigal son story. And then the second parable that Jesus told was even shorter. It was a parable of, a, of this woman who, who lost one of her 10 coins and she turned her house upside down to find that coin. And then finally, after those two parables, Jesus tells this third parable, this longer parable in the rest of the chapter. But I wanna go back, all, whenever you read scripture, we should always read it in context, because if you don't understand the context of what you're reading, then a lot of times you can just miss a lot of rich information. And so the context for all of this can be found in the first two verses of the chapter. Luke 15, verses one and two, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners, now we put in parentheses, those are the rule breakers, right? Tax collect, it's, all, it's tax time, right? So tax collectors, and some of you work for the IRS, all right? So we're talking to you, right? No, that's actually not, back in, back in Jesus' day, the Jewish tax collectors would, t- would collect taxes from the Jewish people on part for, for the Romans, and so a lot of times they would extort taxes so tax collectors were, were, were notorious. Tax collectors were hated by the Jewish people. And so especially tax collectors were hated by the Pharisees because it was, it was almost like they were representing Roman authority, whereas the Pharisees thought they represented, the teachers of the law thought they represented God's authority. And so, so tax collectors and other notorious, not just tax collectors, but all the other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach because they loved Jesus' teachings. They loved what he had to say. And then it said, it says this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the rule keepers, it made those guys complain that Jesus was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now for Jewish people, you weren't supposed to have table fellowship with Gentiles, you weren't supposed to eat with people who weren't worthy of eating with you. It's like a Bears fan eating with a Packers fan. It just doesn't happen, right? You don't do this. And so in Jesus' day, this was a big deal. Again, the Pharisees and the religious teachers, they were the ones who, who loved to enforce the rules. And they were out here waiting to catch Jesus. They were waiting. They wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to expose Jesus And they wanted people to stop listening to him, but the problem was everybody loved Jesus. And you know who really loved Jesus? The tax collectors and notorious sinners. And so in the context of this, remember this, in the context of this, Jesus tells these two stories. Actually, these three stories. The story of the lost sheep, the one lost sheep, it's like the tax collector who got out of the pen the other 99 Pharisees and, and religious people stayed there and they were safe and sound in the pen and yet the shepherd went after the one. And then this woman who lost her one coin and she turned her house upside down to look for it. And Jesus is saying this stuff because what he wants to do for the rule keepers and the rule breakers is he wants to correct their misunderstanding about God. So many people have the wrong picture of God. They have, the wrong, they have the wrong concept of God. What does God care about? How does God care, most importantly, how does God care, how does God feel about me? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. How does God feel about you? 
That's what we're going to answer today. We're going to answer that because Jesus answers it for the rule breakers and the rule keepers. So no matter where you find yourself on the spectrum, God is the same for all of us. It's one God. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. It's only one God. He doesn't change. And this is his heart for people. We're going to see that today in these three parables. And, and what I want to tell you is what we left off with last week is this definition of prodigal. Prodigal, many people think the word prodigal means lost. It actually doesn't mean lost. The word prodigal, according to Oxford Dictionary, means spending money or resources freely and recklessly. Prodigal means being wastefully extravagant. And last week, in, as we studied the, the younger son, the prodigal son, we saw that he fit this to a T, right? He asked for his inheritance early from his father. His father gave it to him, which some people are like, that wasn't right. That was dumb. The father gave it to him. And then he goes off and spends it. You notice how quick, by the way, last week, how quickly he spent that money? He spent it within about a verse. Go back and look at it yourself. It's a long parable, and it takes one, maybe two verses for him to lose it all. Prodigals, are you listening to this? It doesn't take you very long to lose it all. Man, you, you make one, deci- one poor decision and it could completely change your whole life. And that's what we're seeing in this story. And so, so the son was definitely wastefully extravagant, but today what you're gonna see is actually the real prodigal in the story is the father. The father is the prodigal one. The father's the one who is free and reckless with his money. I mean, he gave the son the money. What gives? He's the one who's wastefully extravagant, and we're going to see this in the story. In fact, this is the part of the story that really shocks the hearers, and I want to make sure that you understand that today as we look at the prodigal father. We're going to take a look at three different things in the story of the prodigal father, and again, we're, going to, we're not just going to lift it from this story, this third story in Luke 15. We're going to actually also take a look at the first two stories and see what Jesus is trying to teach about how God feels about us. Number one. The father chases down those who are lost. Luke 15, three through four, Jesus told them this story. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Years ago, my neighbor frantically ran over to our house, knocked on the door and said, my son never made it home from school. This is when their son was like in second grade. And we live about a mile, maybe, maybe a mile and a half from the school. And you could see the panic in her face. And I'm a dad. And I matched it. And I said, I'll come help. I ran and got my keys. And I went driving around the neighborhood looking for her son. And I was driving down one of the streets. And I, and I drove past this suspicious-looking pickup truck. And I said... Oh, no, not on my watch. And I whipped my car around. I mean, I just like whipped a U-turn, and I went, I floored it after this truck. And this truck is just driving down the road, you know, minding his own business. And I pulled up right alongside the truck, and I peer over at that guy, that swarthy character. He just didn't look right. He had a full head of hair. Never trust a man at that age with a full head of hair. Can I get an Amen. Some of you, yeah, get an amen from some of you. And I looked at him, and I kind of looked in the back of his, of the bed of his truck. Nope, no kid there. Looked in the, kind of the passenger seat, no kid there. And I just kind of said, 
have a nice day, let him on his way. <laughs> That's what this reminds me of. Dads, have you ever been this way where you are just in full-on emergency mode because your kid is in trouble? Does it really matter? Does it really matter that it was the kid's fault? Does it really matter? I think that if you're a good dad, it doesn't really matter. At that moment, all you care about is finding your kid, protecting your kid, because you love your kid. Sure, your kid's gonna make bad choices, but you love your kid. You don't want them to be lost forever. This is what Jesus is saying. He's, here, here, he's telling the story of this shepherd who has 99 perfectly safe sheep. I mean, some people would just say, ah, the percentages are fine. Are fine. I've got most of my sheep right here. 99%'s not bad. On a test, that's still an A. But that's not how the shepherd thinks. The shepherd chases down that one lost sheep. Now, could you imagine the Pharisees and the teachers of the law listening to this story, and they're thinking, are you, are you taking a dig at us right now? Are you saying that we wouldn't do something like that, that we wouldn't chase down that sheep? And then Jesus tells the second story. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And, and you can see probably the teachers of the law and the Pharisees kind of starting to process this. Like, what, are you, what, are, what exactly are you getting at, Jesus? What exactly are you saying? And then Jesus makes it clear as he tells this part of the prodigal son story, verse 20. When that son, that prodigal son who had done such dishonorable things to his father. And let's remember that. I mean, it was shameful what the son did to his father. It was, like, it was like saying, you're as good as dead to me. And now he returns home to his father. And right here, I just want you to think about how, how you would expect the father to respond based on last week's story, this son that had done all this terrible stuff, and now the son returns home to the father. How is the father gonna respond? How would your father respond? How would your father react? Well, Jesus says, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. You know, in that day, in their culture, a father would have worn a a, a roy, kind of like a, like a rich man like he was in the story. He would have worn a robe. And in, in their day, if you, were a, if you were a distinguished gentleman, you didn't run. This just was, wasn't something you would do. You wouldn't run. That would be sort of beneath you to run. The father didn't care. He didn't care. Nothing, nothing mattered to the father at this point except the fact that his lost son had finally come home. And by the way, he's, how is it that he saw the son coming from a long way off? I think the implication is that every day for as long as that son was gone, every day that father was out on the porch waiting. Is today the day? Is he gonna come today? Parents, you know this if you've got a prodigal son or daughter. You're praying every day. There's not a day that goes by that you're not thinking about it, that you're not praying for it, that you're not, you're not asking God to do something to save your child. This is how God is. Some of you don't maybe understand that God could be this way, that this is how God's heart is toward us. But he hiked up his robe. That's what he would have had to do. He would have had to grab his robe and hike it up. I have a robe. 
I, I got a robe. I just need, you need to know this. I have a robe now. So in the mornings, I wake up and I put, my, I put this robe on. And the first couple mornings I would do this, I'm not going to lie, Tracy laughed at me. Because um, it's just not dignified. It's just not, but it's just what I have. It's comfortable. Don't judge me. All right? This father, it wasn't weird for him. But what was weird for him is he would have had to grab that robe and hike it up and go running after his son. And he didn't care what it made him look like because he loved his son. The father chases down those who are lost. Number two, the father responds with joy when a sinner repents. Again, back to the first parable. When that shepherd found that lost sheep, he's going to Look at the word. He's going to joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he's going to call together his friends and neighbors. And he's going to say, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. You see the, you see the word there? Over and over. Joy. That's what, that's what marks the father's heart when a sinner repents. Joy. How about the other story? When that woman finds that lost coin, she's going to call all of her friends together, she's going to call her neighbors in and she's going to say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. And then it says this, in the same way there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. I love that Jesus said it like that. Here's what that means. I want you to hear this. The culture of heaven, the culture of heaven, it's not just God. God's not the outlier. The culture of heaven, all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Maybe you know a religious person who's more like that rule keeper, that Pharisee, who's judgmental. When one sinner repents, what they're going to do for the rest of your life is they're going to hang it over your head. When one sinner repents, is they're going to say, what'd you do that for? They're going to be passive aggressive with you. They're going to be a jerk to you for the rest of your life. Some of you know that kind of quote unquote love. Some of you know that kind of authority. And what Jesus is doing is he's clearing up any misunderstanding, not once, not twice, but three times, he's going to make sure that you understand God's perspective, God's heart, when a sinner repents. He's not going to stand there and hold it over your head. No, look what it says. His father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest, sorry, his, let's, let's hold on to this. The, we're not ready for the third point. The culture of heaven is that the father is going to receive the son with joy. We're going to see that here just in a second, but I don't want to show you that yet. Some of you don't understand that kind of love. Some of you don't, have never received that kind of love before, that kind of joy before. God the Father and all of the angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner repents. And that's the operative word, is when a sinner repents. Do you notice that the Father doesn't actually go out into the pen with the Son? The Father is not like that. He doesn't try to control his children. He's not, going to try, he's not going to force you to pursue God. Some of you might be here today and you would say, I'm kind of a prodigal. I'm still kind of dipping my toe in the water, seeing if I really want to come back to God, seeing if he'll even have me. Well, he'll have you, but you have to turn. That's what the Bible says last week, that prodigal came to his senses and he turned. And what we're looking at today is the extravagance of the father when he does return. And here's that, that's our third point. The father is recklessly extravagant toward his children. I want to break down these three verses here. Because again, from our Western mindset, we might not fully understand what's going on here. It's easy to read this story and just to kind of go fly right past it and miss the significance of what's going on. But the father turns to the servants and he says this, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. 
Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we've been fattening. By the way, do you know that they wouldn't have, when you fattened a calf, you did that for a purpose, for a reason. So there's one of two reasons I could think of that they were fattening a calf. Number one, the father was hopeful that his son would come home. And he'd been fattening a calf, hopeful that that day would come. Or number two, the older son was getting ready to get married. That's even more fun to think about. And then the father requisitions that fattened calf and instead of using it for, his older bro- for the older brother's wedding, he uses it to celebrate. How extravagant would that have been? We'll talk more about the older brother next week. But look at what he says. He says, we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And I love these four words. So the party began. He threw a party. Now just think for a moment about what the Pharisees and teachers of the law are thinking about. They're, at this point, again, it's, it's hard for us to understand this, but at this point, they are absolutely in shock at how this story has gone. Because the father shouldn't have given the inheritance in the first place. And now on top of it, he's throwing a party for him. He's spending even more money. How prodigal is the father? which is Jesus' whole point. Here's what the Bible background commentary says about it. This is so interesting. The best robe in the house would belong to the father himself. That's how it is in our house. (laughs) And so the father's saying, go get my robe and put it on my son. And the ring would probably be a a family signet ring. And so what it would do is it would symbolize reinstatement to sonship in a well-to-do house. So that wasn't just a, what is that all about? That's, about? that's about him saying to his son, you're my son, you're not my servant. You put on my robe, you put on the family ring, you're my son. Slaves or impoverished, impoverished workers often didn't wear sandals. But here, they carried and tied a master's sandals. So it was actually not just his robe, but it was his own sandals that the servants are holding, waiting to put them on the master. And he says, no, put the sandals on my son. He's my son. The father is saying, I won't receive you back as a servant. I'm only gonna receive you as a son. Recklessly extravagant. Irresponsibly lavish. That's what's going on here. And Jesus is telling this story kind of hyperbolically. It's, it's almost at this point in the story, you're like, no, that couldn't happen. That would never, that can't happen. It's like me watching a superhero movie. I'm like, no, that can't happen. You can't do something like that. That doesn't work like that. It's just over the top. It just doesn't even make sense. And Jesus is doing this because he wants to blow away their understanding of God. What he's saying to them is, God receives back the prodigal God, is, God the Father is the one who's prodigal. And this calls to mind a passage from the Old Testament in case some of you are sitting here saying, like a Pharisee would, some people are saying, but this is not the God of the Old Testament. This, this God that Jesus is, is trying to picture here for us, it doesn't match up with the picture of the God of the Old Testament. And I wanna close with this, what I would say is a parallel passage 
from the book of Psalms, Psalm 103, verses 8 through 13. And just consider, this is the, this is the most famous passage when it comes to understanding God and his nature. It's the most famous Old Testament passage about it. And all of the Jewish people would have heard this. And Jesus is really essentially telling these stories to bear this out, to prove this. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward us, those who fear him, is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. I wanna challenge you today, if you don't see God this way, I wanna invite you to see him this way. This is how he feels toward you. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, I feel like there's something I've done in my life that I'm so ashamed of and I don't think God would ever take me back Then I want you to read Psalm 103. I want you to read Luke 15. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God of the Old Testament. It's the God of the New Testament. It's the God that we serve today. It's the God that we worship today with these songs that we're singing today about his faithfulness, about his love, about his mercy, about his goodness toward us. It's not about us earning it. It's not about us, you know, paying off our debt so that eventually we've worked off our debt like the, like the son wanted to do. He wanted to work off his debt so that eventually the father would take him back but as a servant, no, no, the father took him back immediately as a son, and that's what he wants to do for you and for me. God is prodigal toward us, and he loves us with this love that we've probably never seen in our own parents. As good as our parents can be, God is even more gracious. He's even more compassionate. He's even more loving. But I want you to hear this last thing. It's to those who come to their senses. It's to those who fear him. It's to those who repent. The only thing for us then is what we saw last week. The only thing for us is for us to come to our senses and say, I was wrong. God, I was wrong. I'm so sorry. And the Bible says that when we come to him with that heart, when we come to him with that attitude, then he freely and joyfully takes us back as his own. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that this is the kind of God that you consistently show yourself to be in the Bible. And Lord, I pray again for the person who's here today who, who maybe can't even quite believe their ears. It sounds a little bit too good to be true. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to them that this is who you are. This is your attitude toward them. And God, I pray that it would inspire them to turn back to you because you're a good father. You are so good. You are so loving. You are so kind. And so, God, we want to worship you, and we want to say thank you for being extravagant. Thank you for being prodigal. And, God, I pray that we would come to you and worship you and, and reinstate that relationship because you want to. And so, God, for all who would do that, for all who would turn back, Lord Jesus, thank you for receiving us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.